So 2 Timothy 1 and 2, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I, I want to give a, a bit of an introduction to the book, an introduction to the series, why I think it is, uh, it is a good course. I think it's the, the course that God has us on to, to leave 1 Timothy. We finished that up at the, at the start of the year. Uh, we've spent some time talking about the harvest, about, um, about going shifts into the harvest, uh, and now we come to 2 Timothy, and 2 Timothy is, um, I have a lot of favorites, but as a pastor, it has become one of my favorites, or if not my favorite. It is one that I, I come back to over and over again to be, to be re-nourished, to be re-centered, uh, to find my bearings again, uh, and it is amazingly applicable, and I pray that you will find it to be uh, amazingly applicable too. Uh, the context of this, right, Paul is writing mid to late 60s A.D., and this is his final stop before glory. Uh, he is writing from a dungeon below a prison in Rome. Uh, he is writing after what, what has been called, we mentioned it in 1 Timothy, right after what, what was his fourth missionary journey. Right, The book of Acts ends... After his third missionary journey, he ends up imprisoned in Rome, and the writer Luke just kind of ends the book of Acts. Uh, history tells us that that was not uh, Paul's final stop, that he was released from prison then, and he went back around encouraging the churches, sharing the gospel, and he was arrested once again and imprisoned in Rome. And it was, But it was during that fourth missionary journey, while he's traveling around to some of the churches encouraging the brothers and sisters, that he writes 1 Timothy as he sends Timothy to Ephesus uh, to to train up leaders, to contend for right doctrine. Uh, And now he has been arrested, and this is his second imprisonment in Rome, and this is his final stop. That the Apostle Paul has, as he says in chapter 4, he's run the race, he's fought the fight, his departure is soon. And when he says, my departure is soon, he means I am about to die and go to glory. And so these are, this is the the last of Paul's letters, and this is the last thing that he wants to say, and he says it to Timothy primarily, but he also says it to the church. Uh, And I say that because in chapter 4, the the last verse of the book in, in 422, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you, though the you there is plural. So though Paul is writing to Timothy, who is his emissary to the church in Ephesus, Paul is also writing to the church, writing to Timothy, but he's writing to the church. And these are his dying wishes. If he's like, if I have one thing to say, I want to say this to you, Timothy, and ultimately to the church, and ultimately to us, because we believe, right, God has inspired these words by His Holy Spirit. And so the greatest of the apostles, arguably, wants to say, this is the most important thing. After years of following Jesus across the Mediterranean, sharing the gospel, being persecuted, encountering governors and rulers and kings and emperors, here is the thing that I want you to hear. He's ready to die. If you've ever been at the deathbed of someone 
and they are speaking, you know that, that is, those are precious words. And so Paul doesn't get a deathbed. He gets a death cell. Because he goes from here to the executioner's block where he loses his head. Scripture tells us to take account of our leaders and, and look at their lives. That applies to leaders within the context of the church, but it also applies to the people we see in Scripture. Paul loses his head somewhere in the late 60s AD for the cause of Christ. And he tells his child, the one that he cares about, right? He calls Timothy here, my beloved child, my beloved son in the Lord. He tells him to guard the gospel. He tells him to suffer for the gospel. He tells him to contend and continue in the gospel. And he tells him to proclaim the gospel. That's how the, the commentary John Stott summarizes 2 Timothy. Chapter 1, guard the gospel. Chapter 2, suffer for the gospel. Chapter 3, continue in the gospel. Chapter 4, Proclaim the gospel. It is a wonderful, pertinent, important fact that the Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, drives Timothy back to the gospel. Over and over again. Guard the gospel. Suffer for the gospel. Continue in the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. Steers him back. Stott also says this, he says, Paul's preoccupation in writing to Timothy was with the gospel, the deposit of truth, which had been revealed and committed to him by God. Paul wants to make sure that Timothy lays hold of the gospel. So much so that in chapter two, verse two, he says, and what you have heard, what Timothy, what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also that Paul is so concerned that the message of the gospel not be compromised and not be lost. That the message, the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ not be compromised and not be lost. The gospel, the promise of life, that's in verse 1. And we'll get into this in just a second. The promise of life, which is the gospel, it must be guarded and it must be given to and in each generation by people shaped and subject to Christ and his gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the promise of life in Christ, must be guarded against compromise and corruption, and it must be given. It cannot be sat upon. It must be guarded and given to and in each generation by people shaped and subject to the gospel of Christ. Each generation must hear it. Each generation must receive it in order to hand it on. And so if you're going to kind of boil this down to anything, Paul is saying, Timothy, I'm going. My time has passed. I'm going to Jesus. I've run my race. My life is being poured out as a drink offering. Uh, my departure is here. Here is the baton of the gospel. 
Don't drop it and hand it off. And this is what we have to receive too. You have received and are receiving the message of the gospel. And you must believe it. The gospel is a command to believe in. Repent and believe in the gospel. Lay hold of the good news of Jesus. Trust in nothing else for your status before God. Only in what Jesus has done. Have no other master than Jesus. You must guard it, give it, as you are subjected to it and shaped by it. As we consider the lives of these two men, I've talked a little bit about Paul, but what happens to Timothy? The writer of Hebrews mentions to us that Timothy, at the, I think it's in chapter 13, Timothy was in prison and then he was released from prison. So there was a, a time in which Timothy was, again, he was in prison for the gospel. He was re- released for the gospel and he went back to Ephesus. And for years, he ministered there preaching the gospel, just like the Apostle Paul told him to do. Not even just the Apostle Paul, but Christ himself in the gospel. And there are two stories, but they, they have different details, but the thrust of them is the same. So we can have full confidence that this is something like this happened to Timothy. That as he's ministering in Ephesus, right? Ephesus is a town that is, uh, there's a Jewish population, but there's also a pagan population. And they were devoted to their pagan gods. And there was a group of people that were going to worship at a pagan temple. And Timothy got so disturbed about it that as an older man now, he's no longer the child, he's grown up. As an older man, he steps into the mob who are on their way to the temple and begins to implore them to turn away from their idols and trust in Jesus. And there, in the middle of a mob, going to worship a false god, Timothy, Paul's beloved child in the faith, was beaten to death and left on the road. And they went on to worship. I I tell you these things because the gospel in this world should be a sobering reality. Because as you trust in Jesus, you are saying you have a completely different Lord and Master than the world around you. You have a completely different set of values, a completely different set of purpose than the world around you. And that's becoming more and more abundantly clear for us, right? As you look at the world around you. Now, don't misunderstand me. Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. There's nothing in this world and nowhere in this world and no person in this world that ultimately Jesus does not exert lordship over. But either you relate to Jesus in submission and faith or you relate to Jesus in rebellion. But no matter the cultural climate, the good news of Jesus must be guarded and it must be given. And this idea of passing it on happens throughout 2 Timothy in various ways. And we'll see it along the way. 
But we have to hold the line while extending the gospel. Last night, as I was thinking about this and praying through this, I was struck by not only is the gospel, it must be guarded and it must be given. And I kind of got on a string of, so just bear with me for a second. It has to be guarded and given. It has to be preserved and promulgated. I mean, spread around. It has to be saved and spread. It has to be defended and dispersed. It has to be protected and propagated. It has to be conserved and contextualized. It has to be guarded and given. And the tension that we have is that we have to live in the and. Fundamentalism would teach you that the gospel simply has to be preserved, saved, defended, protected, conserved, guarded. Tipping the scales over and saying we have to do whatever it takes to reach the world around us. It would just say the gospel has to be promulgated, spread, dispersed, propagated, contextualized, and given. And both of those will lead to some variation of compromise on the guarding and the giving. You cannot guard the gospel while simultaneously not giving it away. Because you betray the nature of the gospel. Do you understand what I'm saying? You cannot guard the gospel while simultaneously refusing to give it away. Because you will compromise the very nature of the gospel. What is the very nature of the gospel? What's John 3.16 say? Somebody. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. There is the giving and the sending and the going. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. Do you see in the essence of the gospel, you have Jesus being sent by the Father, Son being sent by the Father to redeem. Without compromising the gospel, the gospel of Jesus must be sent it must be given, but it is always at its best. It's given in the it's given by people. Paul says to Timothy, this is chapter three, verse 10. You, however, you, Timothy, but you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. You see that you followed in my footsteps. Yes, you can learn of the, the gospel on a TV ad, which you, if you watch the Super Bowl, there's a chance you'll see something about Jesus on there. We're not going to get into that today. You might you could see the gospel on a billboard, maybe in a magazine, or maybe you picked up the Bible and you read it and you believed in Jesus. Praise God. But the best way you hear and see the gospel of Jesus is if you hear it and see it in somebody else who is shaped and subjected to the gospel. The gospel has to be personified. What am I saying? That as Jesus saves you and your life begins by God's work of sanctification in you, you begin to look like Jesus. God is fitting you 
not just to look like Jesus, which is your ultimate, his ultimate goal for you, but so other people might be able to hear and see Jesus in you. The message of the gospel must be guarded and given in individuals who are shaped by that good news. Who are not, they're not trusting in idols. They're not trusting in themselves. They're not trusting in the world, but they're trusting in Jesus. And when you begin to believe the gospel, it creates a certain type of person. This is the fruit, like fruit of the Spirit, for example. Not an exclusive list, but for an example. Right? What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness. And self-control, I think I got all nine, maybe not. Uh, But that begins to shape you as you begin to believe God is great. So I I don't have to fear anybody else. God is good, so I don't have to look for satisfaction anywhere else. God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself. I'm already loved and approved beyond measure in Jesus. Dear ones, those truths have to press out and transform your life. That's what we have happening in Paul. And you're thinking, well, Paul is a super, superstar apostle. Well, you have the superstar apostle, and then you have the little, timid, fearful, beat-up Timothy who ends up down the same road by God's grace, taking a stand for Christ and sharing the gospel with his very last breath. It's the gospel that produces those sorts of people. It's God through the gospel that produces those sorts of people. And so as we think about God has placed us here. And we're saying, God, give us 500 connections for the gospel this year. One of the ways that you can fit yourself for the task is believe the gospel. You need to understand that you never outgrow your need for the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. You never outgrow your need to say Jesus has died for me because guess what? You're going to sin tomorrow. You're going to sin on Tuesday. Maybe you get a reprieve on Wednesday. I'm just kidding. No, but we're all going to stumble and trip. And it's not to excuse our sin, but it's a revelation that the message of the gospel. and, And this is something I've had to learn. Because it wasn't anybody's fault, but I took in something different in the church growing up. I took in that the message was do better, try harder and put on a good face. And that'll kill you. That's law. And it will break you down, rob you of your joy, destroy your witness. If the message is, do better, try harder, put on a good face. Fake it till you make it. The message, is, message of the gospel is saying, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. God who justifies the ungodly. Or Deuteronomy 7, where God's talking about where he, he, he is chosen Israel. And he says, I chose you not because this is the Jacob paraphrase. Don't get on me. Um, I chose you not because you're such a big deal, but I loved you because I love you. God's love towards you is free. It's free. Just, just cook for a second, y'all. It's like if I could leave you with anything. If I were to get hit by a bus, right? Tomorrow, today, whatever. This is the thing. God's love for you and Jesus is free and now you need to live like it. 
Yes, Jesus' lordship means you live, a, you live a certain way. But when you're shaped by the gospel, you're going to delight in the words of God. You're going to delight to live in the way that God has laid out to live because you know that's the way to life. The gospel must be guarded and it must be given. So when Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Remember, we remember this from the beginning of 1 Timothy. He's not saying, uh, he's, he's not a self-appointed apostle. How many of those are bumping around? Good night. He's not a self-appointed leader. But that God, by God's will, he's an apostle. By God's will, he's sent out with the gospel. By God's will, that he is a God-wrought individual. It is done by God. Why? According to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. So that Paul's whole life, Paul and his apostleship come under the banner of the, the, the message of the gospel. That Paul is subject to, shaped by, it's done by God, he's made what he is so that the gospel will go out. He's made Paul and he's made an apostle for the sake of the gospel. And while you are neither Paul nor an apostle, God has made you, saved you, gifted you for the sake of the gospel. Now, if you've let your love freely, you're accepted in Christ, all you have to do is call out to Him in faith, saying, I trust you. And He's saying, I've saved you. I've redeemed you. I've made you. According to the promise. So that other people can hear and see the gospel through you. I feel like i got to get to it. That the way that God has made you. And the way that God has saved you. And the way that he's shaping you by the good news of Jesus. By his spirit's work in you. That you are able individually and us together are able by God's grace to communicate the gospel better than any one of us by ourselves. That God has so made you and shaped you so that as you, have, you go through what you have gone through and what you will go through, trusting in Jesus and, and, and believing that Jesus has forgiven you of that, you're able to bring the gospel to bear to people in a way that I, want, I'm not, I might not be able to. Or as we as a church, as we are a, a group of people who are, are being shaped by the gospel, and as we are a group of people being shaped by the gospel according to the promise of life in Christ, then our community, our, our church, becomes a distinctive type of community. And this is what Paul gets into in Colossians 3. I put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, and faithfulness, loving one another, forgiving one another as God and Christ has forgiven you. Bearing with one another. That's a certain type of community shaped by the gospel. And as this world, this culture wants to drive itself off the cliff, as God makes us that sort of group, that sort of people together, That becomes compelling to a world that says your identity is only in you. 
That your greatest destiny is to self-actualize whoever you believe yourself to be. Even if it is contrary and contradicted by the very biology of yourself or the nature of the world around you. Having a compelling community that has experienced the love of God is giving the love of God to each other and to others. It is a compelling picture. And in this way, and in this way, we are guarding the gospel. How has God guarded the gospel and given the gospel for millennia? I'll give you like two, two kind of big ones. The first... Please don't fall. He's given us this word. The nature of the Bible is for the guarding and the giving of the gospel. Secondly, he has made a gospel people. That God preserves his word for generation after generation to guard and to give the gospel. God preserves and builds his church for the guarding and the giving of the gospel. And he will continue to do both by his providence and by the special working of the spirit until Jesus comes. He will preserve his word. He will preserve his church until Jesus comes. But the nature of both word and church is for the guarding and the giving of the gospel. So, so we think about how, how we guard the gospel. One, right? It is a body of truth. The gospel is a body of truth, but it cannot simply be made into something you study and go about your way. So one, is a, it is a body of truth but it's good news to be, to be believed. There's plenty of people who know the Bible great, but they don't believe it. And so they corrupt the gospel. What are you trusting in today? What is your hope in life and death? What makes you satisfied and full? What makes you get up in the morning and go to bed at night? What, what fills in the blank of if blank, then I'm satisfied. If blank, then I'm happy. If blank, then I'm safe. If blank, then my family will be okay. There's a lot of things that could fill the blank. But how do you guard the gospel? You believe that if Jesus and his gospel are true which he is and it is, these things will be. It's a body of truth to be, it's a body of truth, but it's also good news to be believed. How do we give it? It's a body of truth to be believed and lived. You live out the reality of the gospel. Don't misunderstand me. The gospel is centered on Jesus. But as you are shaped by the gospel, you live it out. You show love to other people. You become an agent of peace where you are rather than an agent of conflict. In your home and in your work and in your neighborhood. But it is also a message that must be spoken. So would we guard it and would we give it? 
So I want, you to ask, I want to ask you two questions and we'll, we'll pack it up. I've already asked some of these, so. But what are you believing? What's your trust? Jesus, praise God. But get, get with God and ask yourself that. And a good way to diagnose that is asking, right? Um, what am I fearing? What am I rejoicing in? And what will bring me greatest contentment? Okay, I want to, this could turn into like a 50 minute sermon, but what are you believing? Secondly, who's behind you? Who is the person? Who are the people? What's the next generation? Remember where we started. The gospel must be guarded and given to and in each generation. This generation. What are we doing? And this is, we'll really hammer this next week. But what are we doing to see that people in this generation hear, see, and have multiple opportunities to believe in Jesus? Because the gospel must be guarded and given here. And we have to consider the forms and the means and the space. What are we communicating to people who are 25 or 30 or younger? What are we communicating to millennials and Gen Z and Alpha and whatever else in all these generations? But I'm going to give you a headlight, a highlight, not a head, headlight, highlight for many of you. It's, they are different than you. And so when you think about the, the work, the ministry of the church and how we are called to guard and to give the, the gospel in every generation. We have to consider who are we trying to reach? And what are we willing to do differently to do that? I believe last week Sage shared, you know, there are within five miles of this spot, within five miles of this pulpit, there are almost 40,000 people. Within three miles of this spot, there are almost 15,000 people. And you can go do the work and you can see how many people are in worship here, how many people are worship at Hillcrest, how many people are worship at Spears Creek and at Union, and at Father's House, and at Harmony, at the Elgin Church of God, and whoever else I'm missing within five miles, all of Fort Clark, Green Hill, it doesn't touch 40,000. So then we have to ask the question. A lot of these churches have been here a long time. Why is it and how is it that we have allowed, let's just, let's just be generous, you know? What's, I don't have, I'm not good at 40,000, so a, a quarter of that is what? 10,000, right? So, let's, so I know there's not 10,000 people in worship. Now they might travel somewhere, you know, there's all these sorts of things, okay? But how have we let 40, 30,000 people Zoom by. And because you know as good as well as, as I do that Elgin today is different than Elgin eight years ago when I got here. We're a different church. 
is certainly different than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or 30 years ago. The movement of change has been crazy. But if we're going to guard the gospel, amen, brothers and sisters, but we must give it. And if we're going to give it, we have to consider who we're trying to give it to. Who's behind us? Who are the people that God has given us today that have to hear? Because otherwise, otherwise, we have 40,000 people. Let's say, let's just, 30,000 people within walking distance that are hurtling off the cliff of eternity into hell. And that one day, we're all going to stand around the, the glory of God and say, Woo! And then God's going to say, what about them? Now, it doesn't mean it's not on their heads. It doesn't mean that they never heard. But if we won't consider prayerfully who it is, who it is that we must reach and how we must do it, are we really trying to give the gospel away? Because what has Jesus done for us? Go read Philippians 2. Or consider again John 20. As the Father sent me, so I send you. How has Jesus been sent? Even though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant. Being obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him above. And given him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. This is the thing I want to say. That the gospel to follow Jesus necessarily means you sacrifice things so that you can gain. Jesus said, take up your cross. Whoever come after me, take it. Do not let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For what does it profit you to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? The invitation, I think the tension for us between guarding and giving. I think we, I, I have confession. I skew towards guarding. You might not think that, but I skew that way. And I think sometimes we as a church do too. But we need to say, who is it and how is it we will give this away? So who do you know? Where, do you, where can you give it away today? Today. Where can you give it away tomorrow? In word and in deed, you give it away. Freely you have been loved. Freely love. Freely you have been saved. Freely share. Give people the chance. Give people the chance of new life in Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I thank you. And I pray that this has been honoring to you. And that God, you would do your work in us to be a people shaped and subject to the gospel. So that we may guard it and give it away. 
that we wouldn't lose sight of the good news of Jesus, that it is Jesus. Jesus is the content of the gospel, and he is the hero of the gospel story. But we have the message, the truth of who he is and what he has done and is doing and will do. So, Lord, would you acquaint us with Jesus? Would we be a people ready to guard the gospel, not falling for the fads and the false teachings of the world, but also as we guard the gospel, would we be compelled by the love of Jesus to give it away, to pour out our lives for someone behind us so that someone may hear of Jesus, have the opportunity to believe in Jesus, or for someone who has already known you and needs to be discipled, they need to be led, would we consider, those of us who have been following you, would we consider who is behind us that we need to give truth away to? We need to give our lives away to, to see the gospel guarded and given in the generations to come. I pray, God, if there's some here who have never believed this good news. That though their sins are scarlet and separate them from you. That you have given your son. That he was crucified and suffered a death that we deserve because of our sin. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And that everyone who calls out to him in faith and trust will be saved from sin, from death, from hell, from Satan. Would you give them grace today to call out in faith? And would you stir up your church to guard, to give the gospel away? We pray this for Christ's sake. Amen.